0: Exodus chapter 23 verses 20 to 24 and chapter 24 verses 1 to 18. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I block them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you. Until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. You and Aram, Nadan, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, "All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient." And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief man of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights.
1: We've all played follow the leader before, haven't we? You know, some of us are better than others. But the truth is, none of us is really very good at follow the leader. You know, eventually when you're, when you're playing, you get lost or you get distracted or eventually just don't like where you're being led. And you start to follow other leaders or maybe you just get plain tired of being led. And so we're not very good at follow the leader. And we find that neither was ancient Israel. They were not very good at follow the leader, so today the Lord's giving His people specific instructions to prepare them. To prepare them so that they might be ready to follow their leader. And the Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt for this very purpose, so that they might follow Him. So that they might follow their leader. And they're going to follow their leader all the way, the Lord says, to the land that He promised Abraham. The promised land of Canaan. So, follow your leader all the way to the land that I promised Abraham. I, I brought you out of Egypt so that you would follow me, your leader. And the question to be answered is Will they? Will they follow their leader? Now, let's talk a little bit about the leader that the Lord promises Israel in this passage. You know, beginning in verse 20, the Lord speaks of an angel or a messenger who will go before and lead the people into the promised land. Now, this is not the first time in the Exodus account so far that we've actually seen an angel. For those that are astute, you might have noticed that when they were led out of Egypt and they were camping by the Red Sea before crossing the sea, and Pharaoh's army came pursuing them, it says in Exodus 14, 19, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So an angel of God was said to have been leading Israel out of their captivity in Egypt. And then this same angel went behind Israel to defend Israel from Pharaoh's approaching armies. And later on, when Israel is about to enter the promised land, we're again going to see an angel, a messenger of the Lord. Years after today's account, the same angel appears to Israel's then leader, Joshua, who we heard mentioned in today's account. And Joshua is there across the Jordan from Jericho, preparing to lead the people into the promised land. And Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 records, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, no. But I am commander of the army of the Lord. And now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to earth and worshipped. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we might start by asking the question, who is this angel? Who is this messenger that leads God's people into the promised land? Now, consider the description of the angel given in Exodus 23, verse 21. It says, pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So let's start actually with that final phrase, my name is in him. You know, the Lord's name is more than a name. The Lord's name is His special presence, His character. To have the Lord's name is to have the very presence of the Lord Himself. In fact, years later, the Lord told King David, He said, David, your son Solomon is going to build a temple. And this is how He described it in 2 Samuel 7.13. He shall build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. A house for my name, for my special and my specific presence. So the name of the Lord being upon this messenger means that this angel is a special and a specific manifestation of the Lord's very presence leading his people. And more than that, what do we see? We see that this messenger bears the full authority of the Lord. Verse 21, you heard warned, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. To rebel against this angel was to to fail to follow this leader was to rebel against the Lord Himself. And more than that, it says don't rebel against Him because He will not pardon your transgression. Hold on. He will not pardon your transgression? Can a mere angel pardon rebellion against the Lord? When Jesus came, and he claims to forgive sins. The religious leaders of his day, they rightly asked in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's blasphemy to forgive sins and to claim, because by doing so, you're claiming you're God. And there's none who can forgive sins but God alone. Well, Jesus was making a specific claim in this case. To divinity by forgiving sins. And in the same way, we find implied this messenger could choose to forgive or not forgive sins, which makes us think this is more than a mere angel, more than a mere messenger. And we should take note that when this same messenger came to Jericho before, to Joshua before Jericho, what did Joshua do? He fell down and worshiped. Friends, no mere angel would ever receive worship. Angels are created beings. Worship is reserved for God alone. In fact, you might remember that when the Apostle John received his revelation, as we find recorded in the last book of the Bible, he tried to worship an angel. In Revelation 19.10, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. No mere angel would ever, worship, would ever receive worship. Yet we see that the angel that Joshua encountered outside of Jericho, he fell down and worshipped. And the angel never objected. Who was this messenger of the Lord who was leading his people out of slavery through the wilderness... And into the promised land. Because this messenger of the Lord is distinguished from God himself. Yet the messenger bears the name, the very presence of God. The messenger is attributed the authority of God. The messenger is attributed the ability to forgive sins which God alone can do. And when Joshua encounters this messenger, the commander of the armies of the Lord, he receives willingly Joshua's worship. Who is it that leads Israel out of slavery through the the wilderness and into the promised land? Who is the leader that Israel follows? Friends, this is the second person of the Trinity. The pre-incarnate Son of God. Remember, Jesus didn't come into existence that first Christmas. Jesus always has been and always will be. God didn't become a trinity when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God always has been and always will be one God in three persons. And here, leading his people from bondage, fighting for Israel and protecting them, going before Israel into the promised land to clear the way for them, here with absolute authority to be obeyed, here is the second person of the trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ, leading his people church long before the incarnation, long before that night in Bethlehem that we sing about and celebrate every year, Christ was with his people, leading them to salvation. The Apostle Paul explains and describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the clouds, in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's kind of a strange sounding phrase that he says at the end. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul is affirming here that the presence that delivered Israel from bondage, the presence that led them through the sea and then through the wilderness, the presence that nourished and provided for them in the desert, that presence was Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity. Friends, the same second person of the Trinity who led his people from their slavery in Egypt would one day take on flesh so that he could come and lead us from our slavery and our bondage. To sin. The gospel, the good news, is that we have a God who leads his people to salvation. And so, what's our response? Friends, we must follow the leader. We must follow the God who has come to lead us to salvation. And what do we learn today from the passage about following our leader? Because Paul makes another startling claim in 1 Corinthians 10 after he makes this statement about Christ leading them. He says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So what we have recorded here and what was read for us this morning by Ada was recorded as an example to instruct us in our life as we seek to follow the leader. As we seek to follow Christ in this life, what do we learn from the promises that are made here in the end of chapter 23? You know, the first thing of the first of three things that I take from the Lord's words here in chapter 23 that instruct us as an example is first the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, the battle belongs to the Lord. We hear described Israel is going to enter the promised land and she's going to be victorious, not because of her superior training, not because she's better equipped, not because of her tact or her wisdom, but because the Lord goes before them. And the battle belongs to Him. It's like we sang, in heavenly armor we'll enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. And no weapon that's fashioned against us shall stand. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. So friends, as we follow the Lord in our lives, we would do well to remember this. Our victories will come, not because of our superior strength or skill or wisdom. Friends, the battle then and the battle now belongs to the Lord. You know, I heard a statement earlier this week that's really just kind of stuck with me all week long because I've been... Chewing on it and ruminating on it. This pastor, he was talking about our following Christ, following our leader. And he was talking about the call to to ever-increasing obedience, to follow him more faithfully and more closely. And he said, we don't overcome overcome our sins by willpower. We confess our sins to death. We don't overcome our sins by willpower. We confess our sins to death. To death. Because if the battle doesn't belong to us, to our strength, to our willpower, if the battle belongs to the Lord, confess your sins, confess your need, confess your weakness, and let His Spirit lead you into the promises of God, into victory, because the battle belongs to the Lord. Israel would only receive what God promised if she. Followed her leader. And the same is true today for you and for me. Because the battle then and the battle today belong to the Lord. And So first we find the battle belongs to the Lord. But secondly, what we see in this example is that the battle is long. The battle is long. Did did you hear those words in Exodus 23, 29 through 30? I will not drive your enemies out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you've increased and possessed the land. Friends, God does not always give us instant and complete victory, which is what we want. Progress in our lives is often little by little. And as we learn here, there is a purpose for the length of the battle. Church, as we follow Christ, our leader, we too meet challenges, we meet delays, we meet setbacks, and we're discouraged. We're impatient, we're frustrated. Sometimes we forget that the battle is long, and often we don't see God's purpose in the struggle. But, friends, God has a purpose in the length and the difficulty. Of the battle that you're facing. If you want to grow stronger physically, you do so by resistance training. You push through or push against the resistance of gravity, of friction, of inertia. You strain against that resistance and it develops muscle, it develops stamina, it develops strength. And friends, the battle is long, but that's because God's purpose is resistance training. His purpose is for your good, for your transformation for your preparation. As I've shared before, the leadership counselor here at Chestnut Street is reading together through a book called Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church. And in this book, the uh, uh, author Paul Tripp makes an important point. What often beats us down is meant by the Savior to be a tool to build us up. What would make us want to quit is meant by Him to strengthen us For the battles to come. Church, the battle may be long, but it's for our good. It's for our preparation. It's being used for our transformation just as it was in Israel. The Lord said, you're only going to come into the land to possess it little by little. And that is for your good. As much as you want it all now, as much as it's frustrating, it's for your good. Will you follow your leader? Even when it takes longer than you think, even when it's harder than you believe, will you follow the leader? For the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is long. And finally, we find in this passage that the battle is to make you strong, to make you strong in the Lord. Did you know the Lord's purpose in driving out the people of the land is in Exodus 23, 32 through 33? He says, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Church, then, as is now, compromise is deadly. Compromise is deadly. It was deadly to God's people then. And it is deadly to God's people today. The Lord says, this battle is to make you strong in me. To drive out all that distracts. To cleanse from all that profanes. And to protect you from all that hinders. As we follow the leader, the battle that is being fought, church, is a battle to make you strong in the Lord. And how goes the battle? How goes the battle? Because the fact is, compromise is easy. It's subtle. It's just one look. Just one drink. Just one bet. Just one conversation. Just one touch. Just one lie. Just one little change. Just giving one inch. And then it becomes one more. And one more. And one more. Church, the battle that's being fought is for our faithfulness. The Lord warned Israel, don't compromise, even a little bit, with the gods of the land. And he warns us of the same thing today. Don't compromise with the gods, the philosophies, the ideals, the morals of this world. Church, where is there compromise that needs to be dealt with? Compromise in your own heart? Compromise in your life? Compromise in your beliefs? Compromise in your behavior? Because the battle belongs, the battle is long, and the battle is to make you strong. And so follow the leader. And we see in chapter 24, the Lord confirming with Israel that he will in fact be their leader. He will in fact be their leader. The last few weeks, what have we heard? Exodus chapters 20 through 23, the Lord sets forth the terms of the covenant relationship where he will be Israel's leader. And now in chapter 24, as Atta read for us, the covenant is ratified. The relationship is confirmed. Friends, what we find here in chapter 24 of Exodus is really the first worship service described in the Bible. The service contains basic elements of a worship service. We hear a call to worship. There's a reading of God's Word, a confession of faith, the sharing sharing of a sacramental meal, all of it done in the presence of God. Because, friends, that's what worship is. Worship is meeting with God. And this is why God saved the Israelites. Friends, He saved them so that they could come worship Him. Remember, when the Lord called Moses to be deliverer of his people, he made a promise. Exodus 3.12 I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And friends, what's happening here in Exodus 24 is the fulfillment of that promise. They worship and they serve God upon that mountain. And they confirm the covenant, the relationship. God, you will be our leader, and we will follow the leader. And now in Exodus 24, verse 3, it says, Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. All the words and all the rules. Now, the words means the ten words that we studied before, commonly known as the Ten Commandments. The ten words that he gave. And then the rules are what we've been studying the last couple of weeks. The specific applications of those ten words to the life of ancient Israel. So Moses retells all the words and all the rules. And then what do we hear? We hear the people confirm. It says, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then we hear him say it again. In Exodus 24, verse 7, Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. You know, one commentator looking at this said, it kind of was reminiscent of a wedding covenant. You know, we begin a wedding ceremony with what's called a statement of intent. groom. Understanding that God has created, ordered, and blessed the covenant of marriage, do you affirm your desire and intention to enter into this covenant? I do. And then the bride affirms the same. But then it's later on in the ceremony that the actual promises, the vows, are made and said. And then they again affirm, I do. I do. So twice they affirm, yes. We're entering into this covenant. And in the same way here, Israel twice affirms her intention to enter into this covenant. We will follow the leader. All the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And between these two affirmations, what do we find? We find sacrifices. The fellowship offer offerings were not burnt whole as were burnt offerings. We find fellowship offerings... Made here. And fellowship offerings were essentially cooked on the fire and then were eaten before the Lord in His presence. But the first step of preparing that offering was to drain the blood from the sacrifice. And we read that half of the blood drained from the sacrifice was sprinkled on the altar. And then after the reading of the covenant and the affirmation of the people, we see in chapter 24, verse 8, Moses took the blood threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So why was the blood applied to the altar and then to the people in this way? You know, first, the blood was sprinkled on the altar because, friends, a bloody altar meant forgiveness. A sacrifice had been made and had been received. Atonement had been made. And friends, the blood was put on the altar first because this covenant, this relationship between God and His people began with the Lord. Again, verse 8 says, Behold the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you. The Lord is the initiator of this covenant. He's the initiator of the relationship. This is not a mutual agreement of equal parties coming together. The Lord has made this covenant because we are unable and frankly unwilling to initiate the covenant. And friends, if the Lord has initiated and made the covenant, we are now in no position to bargain or try to renegotiate the covenant. We simply must submit to what He has initiated. And after the blood is sprinkled on the altar, then the blood was sprinkled on the people because the sacrifice had been made and accepted and the people are now included in, covered by the blood of the covenant. The covenant was a bond of blood between God and His people. And the blood was a stark reminder that this is a life or death situation. That obedience would bring them life and disobedience would bring them death. As one commentator noted, by the blood they were bound to keep God's law and by the same blood their sins were forgiven. So friends, in the blood was obedience and forgiveness, was death and life, In the blood was judgment and mercy. This is the blood of the covenant, of the relationship the Lord has made possible for His people. Israel could only follow her leader by the blood of the covenant. And friends, hear the Gospel. Hear the good news. We follow the leader. We follow today by the blood of a new and a better covenant that Jesus has made for us not made with the blood of goats and bulls, but with the blood of Jesus Christ Himself. He has made a covenant, a relationship with us, so that today we can follow our leader and draw near to God in a way that Israel never could. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 12, declares, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Friends, we find that the blood-stained cross is better than the blood-stained altar. For in the shedding of His own blood, Christ has secured for us a redemption that is not temporary and incomplete, but is eternal. And more than that, did you hear all the warnings that were given to Israel around this worship service and around who could go where and how far people could go and where they could not go? People, The people could not approach. And, and even the priests and the elders, they could only go part way. They, they still had limited access, even with the blood of the covenant. And it says that the priests and the elders, that they saw God's feet and the floor where He stood, but that was it. So even with the blood of the animal sacrifice, only some of the people could draw just a little bit nearer And the blood of the sacrifices could never fully take away sin so they could only come a little bit closer to God. But church, hear the good news. With the blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant in His blood, as the author of Hebrews writes, we're invited now to follow our leader Jesus into the very presence of God Himself. Because the author of Hebrews continues in Hebrews 10, verses 19-22. through Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we've confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Friends, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can now follow our leader and draw nearer to God than Israel ever could. As the blood was sprinkled upon the people of Israel by faith in our hearts, they're sprinkled clean by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And now we come to God. And as we sang this morning, You are the perfect and righteous God. Your presence bears no sin. And yet, You bid me come to Your holy place So, how can I enter in when your presence bears no sin? Through him who poured out his life for me, the atoning Lamb of God, through him and his work alone, I boldly come. I come by the blood. Friends, we are invited. We are invited now to follow our leader and come by the blood to draw nearer to God than Israel was ever able to draw. And friends, more than that, now in Jesus Christ, we see not just the feet of God, but we have seen the very face of God and the fullness of His glory. The Apostle Paul celebrates in 2 Corinthians 4-6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, we see the glory of God in the very face of Christ. We see not just the feet of God as the leaders of Israel did. We see the very face of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Church, how glorious is our salvation. How marvelous is Christ's sacrifice for us. How great is the leader that we now follow. And as such, let us draw near to God. Remembering that the battle we fight now is meant to make us strong. That although that battle may be long, ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord. And so church, let us commit ourselves together to follow our leader. Let us commit ourselves together And follow into the very presence of God. For now we might draw near. For we come by the blood. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what Christ has done. We thank you for the covenant that you have made for us. By the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. And we thank you now that we might draw near, that we might see you face to face, and that we might know you fully. Help us in our weakness and our inability to follow you, our leader, in obedience and in love. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.